when our study that we've been calling Let's Go Be the Church, we're coming to a place today, a message today that we're calling Answering Your Call. Answering Your Call. And in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, that's exactly what we see happening. We see disciples who are being called. And there's some aspects to this calling that apply to every person in this room. And if you know Christ, it especially applies to you. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. In the boat was Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. You know, you may not be that familiar with the Bible. It's divided, has Old Testament, New Testament. The very beginning of the Old Testament, we have the book of Genesis. And in the opening chapters of Genesis, we learn why the world is the way it is. That the world as you and I experience it this morning is not the way God originally made it. And so we see things wrong in the world and we question why would a good God make a chapters of Genesis. In an idyllic place, a place of wonder, a place of joy, a place of provision, a place where everything they want was there, a sense of meaning, a sense of purpose. God made them in his image. Their purpose was to make an invisible God visible to a watching world by the way they lived and by their complete and total dependence on him and his word. You and I were never meant to live independent of him. But when sin happened, that's exactly what the man and woman did. They said, I don't have to listen to God. I don't have to depend on him. I can make my own decisions for myself. And ever since then, all of us, every human being is born with that basic alienation or separation from God. Thinking I can handle it on my own. I certainly don't need the people of God. And I certainly don't need God telling me what to do. And so that works fine until life begins to get hard. And then you can even hear it in the news broadcast. We begin to question, why is God making it so hard? Well, he's not the one that's made it so hard. We made it hard, didn't we? By choosing to live independently of him. Well, Jesus Christ was sent to rescue you and me, to redeem us or set us free from Satan and his lies, his deception, and our own sinfulness. Now, how does he do that? Well, we understand that he died for us on the cross. We understand how he did that on the cross. What we don't understand is what he was doing for those three years leading up to the cross. I know he died for my sin. I know he paid for my sins and that when I die, I will go to heaven and I will not go to hell because he paid the price, the punishment my sins deserve. But I'm not going to understand what he's doing now in my life. I'm not going to understand what he's doing today in this church if I don't understand what he was doing in the three years before he died. And so I got to see what he's doing with his followers or else I'm going to be really confused about what he's doing with his followers today. And boy, are we confused. 
how do you think of the church? Do you think of the church as a crowd in the stands? Or as a team that's on a field? Do you think of the church as a store for consumers? Or do you think of it as a base camp for deploying soldiers on a mission? What was Jesus doing before he died on the cross? What we see in Matthew 4 is is he called together a group and he poured his life into that group. And what we see as we read the New Testament, the Gospels, is that he spends more time teaching this group than he does speaking to the crowds. He calls them as individuals, but he trains them as a group. And when he sends them out to make disciples of all nations, he sends them out as a group for Christ. There is no plan B. You and I are that plan. To make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. So here's the question I want to pose as we look at this text today. When God calls you, he is leading you into a life <coughs> Excuse me, with a group of Christians. When he calls you, he's putting you into a group. He puts you into a church. Church was his idea. Why? Why? Why can't I just listen on the radio to somebody preach a sermon? Why can't I just watch them on TV or download a podcast? Why do I need the church? Why do I need to be involved with a group of Christians? Let me give you three reasons. Number one, the mission is too difficult. The mission is too difficult. Then he said to them, this is verse 19, he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now we're going to start at the end of this phrase and we're going to work backwards, work our way through it. So we're going to start at the end first. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. When Jesus said this, he immediately was showing or saying two things to them. First of all, he was showing his purpose for their lives. He was showing their purpose. He was speaking to commercial fishermen. It was their business to catch fish. So when he turned to these commercial businessmen who were fishermen and he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, they understood immediately he was not calling them to come and sit in a pew. He was calling them from one business into a new business. And there happened to be some similarities between their old business and the new business. And so they understood that they had a business, a task, a mission. And that was to be fishers of men. So they understood the purpose when he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And when Jesus called you and me, he called us to the same business. It has not changed. The business or the purpose for each of us in this church is to be fishers of men. And so we know our business, and we know that from the way he called these men and the way he called you and me, the purpose. But we also see immediately there's a problem. There's a lot of fish to be caught, a lot of fish in the sea. Once at a church picnic years ago, uh, one of our daughters, I won't mention her name, I think it was Laura. (laughs) She's not here. 
But Laura was like in the third or fourth grade, and when she was at the picnic, we were enjoying ourselves. This was in South Louisiana, so we were really enjoying ourselves, eating crawfish, things that run backwards, you know. And Laura had, had made friends, made a new friend, a male friend, together on the slides. And they had a wonderful afternoon together. And towards the end of the afternoon, this young man comes up to me. He's about that tall. And he asks if he can come spend the night at my house. <laughs> I told him no. <laughs> On the way home, Laura was very upset with me. You know, dads, we have to make tough calls. She was very upset with me. She said, Daddy, I wanted, he was my friend. I wanted him to come over to my house. I wanted him to spend the night. I told him he couldn't come unless he asked you. You told him no. I said, that's right. And I said, it's okay, Laura, this won't be the last young man you have an encounter with. There are other fish in the sea. She said, but he's the only one flapping. <laughs> when Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men, immediately a problem arose because no one person can reach all the, the people that need to be caught. No one person can do all the evangelism. No one person can cast the net big enough. No one person can haul the, the, the catch in. No one person can do the entire harvest. No one person can do it. I will make you fishers, not one fisher. I'll make you a fisher of men. I'm going to make you fishers of men as a group. We can't do it by ourselves. The mission is too difficult for us to do it alone. And so your calling, however you understand your calling, you need to understand that your calling has a purpose. Ultimately, it involves catching other people, helping them become disciples. But you cannot fulfill your purpose unless you address the problem that the, that the assignment is bigger than you are. The mission's too difficult to do it alone. We saw this three weeks ago in Matthew 16, verse 18, when Jesus said, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Apparently, Jesus taught that it would take more than one Christian to overrun the gates of hell. It takes a church to take down the gates. He doesn't build superhero Christians. He doesn't raise up super-Christians who become the idol of all the other little Christians. He builds a church, and together that church takes down the gates of hell. We see Jesus addressing the problem when he trained the disciples. He sent the twelve out in pairs in Mark 6, Luke 9. You can go read about that. But when he, he showed them how to do things, he, 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 he was there when they did it the first few times, and then he sent them out on their own, but he didn't send them alone. He sent them out in pairs. We see it when he sent out the 70 in Luke 10, the larger group that followed him. When he sent out the 70 in Luke 10, listen to how he did it in verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them out two by two. He never sent anybody out by themselves. Now, there are occasions in Scripture, there are exceptions, where for a period of time, we're going to look at this next week, where we as individuals do go and share our faith. We as individuals do go like Philip went to the Ethiopian eunuch. Definitely, we don't do it alone. And so he sends them out two by two. Now, why did he send them out in pairs? Because the mission is too difficult to do alone. We've known this. We've known it for years. It's much easier to reach lost people, people that don't know Jesus. It's much easier to reach them as a group than it is by yourself. 
I've seen it for years. I've watched Bible study groups that were growing. They were reaching people that didn't know Jesus. And because they loved each other, because they were having fun, just like we studied last week in, in John chapter 13, verse 35, they will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so they see a group that loves each other. They're having fun together. And the world looks at that from the outside, and they say, I want to be a part of that. And they're attracted. And this group receives new ones in and they love on them and they accept them and they receive them and they show them you don't have to perform to be part of us. You can just let your hair down. You can be yourself. We're all sinners. We're all saved by grace through faith. We're just ordinary people and you are welcome here. Groups that that love each other, they reach new people. You know the amazing thing of what happens if your Bible study group begins to reach one or two or three new people? Guess what happens? New people bring new people. New people bring new people. I'm not saying anything negative about old people, especially as I get older. But new people bring new people. And it goes viral. The mission is too difficult. Dear ones, you and I live in a place called the Delta. If you didn't know that, I'm here to inform you that today. I'm also here to tell you that the Delta spiritually is one of the hardest places in the United States to reach people for Jesus. It's one of the places where the enemy has oppressed people spiritually. He's oppressed them economically. He's a pastor or church leader. If a Christian decides they're going to get serious about following Jesus in the Delta, you watch as all hell breaks loose on that person. That pastor will be attacked, his family will be whacked, his his heart will be broken. I talk to pastors every week in the Delta. And I talk to church leaders in other churches. As their churches are being ripped apart, their pastors are being creamed. Because the enemy does not want anybody to get serious about following Jesus. We can talk about it all day long. But don't ask me to get involved. Don't ask me to get serious. Don't ask me to get in a group where we open the doors of our group to allow new people to come in. Don't ask me to do things like that. And dear one, if you do, you're going to discover how seriously the enemy takes that behavior. He's going to attack everything you are, everything that you have, everything that's precious to you. Why does he lead you into a group of Christians when he calls you? Because the mission is too difficult to do by ourselves. And if we try to do it by ourselves in the Delta, if we try to do it by ourselves as individuals, if we try to do it by ourselves as a church, we are going to fail. There's a second reason he leads us into a group of Christians when he calls us. The second is this. The change is too deep. The change is too deep. The mission's too difficult. The change is too deep. Look at verse 19 again. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. We're backed up into the middle of the verse now. When he said that they would become fishers of men, he revealed God's purpose. When he says, I will make you, he reveals God's process. God's accomplishing something. He's doing something. And so I want to just tease out some of the observations of what what Jesus is saying when he says, I will make you. Because if I follow Jesus, he says, I will make you fishers of men. What does it mean when he says, I will make you? 
First, it means you can never be what, and I'm going to speak for Jesus, you can never be what I made you to be unless you change. Jesus is not going to save you, take you to heaven, and leave you as you are. He's going to bring you from whatever you were doing with your life, and he's going to bring you into the life he made you for. He's going to take you out of a mission where it was just about you and your wants and your delights and your pleasures, and he's going to move you out of that mission into the mission of God. I will make you. You can't be what I made you to be unless you change. Second observation. You can never change unless I change you. He says, I will make you. Not you will make you. I will make you. And so immediately I realized this is a very personal relationship. If, if he does the changing relationship with him, it means some kind of connection with him that is personal. Third observation, when he says, I will make you. I will change you Change who you are, not just what you do. I will change who you are, not just what you do. Sometimes we think in terms of being a Christian, I'm saved. Uh, God has made me righteous, and so we define that in terms of what I don't do or what I do. But Jesus is saying different. He says, I will make you fishers of men. He didn't say, I'm going to make you fish. That would be a verb. He says, I'm going to make you a certain kind of a person. I'm going to change you at the heart level. I'm going to change not what you're doing, just what you're doing. I'm going to change who you are. You see, sometimes we look at people in the world, and we see them sinning. We see them doing things that we in the church, we say, that's terrible. You shouldn't do those things. And we define ourselves in terms of what we do and what we don't do compared to them. But the reason they sin, the reason they do what they do, the reason they are are and I, I don't even want to give the list. The reason they do what they do, whatever it is that you're condemning or judging in the rest of the world, they are doing that because something is wrong on the inside. They don't know God. They are not depending on God. Like even the garden, they're not going to do what God said to do. They're going to do what they think is best, and they're going to be their own God and make their own decisions. They're not going to live in dependence on him. And listen, Christian, if that's the way you're living, you're no different a sinner than they are. If you're not living in dependence on him and following his direction for your life. And so Jesus is not interested just in changing what you do. He wants to change who you are. I will make you fishers of men. And then the thing that's implied here is that I'm going to use a community, a community in this process. You say, well, pastor, how do you know that? Because of several things. One, he called 12, he called 70. He did this with a group of people. And when he says, I will make you fishers of men, he called them together as a group. And in the context of that community, your calling is fulfilled. I know that also because of what Jesus taught later. You know that chapter we studied last week, John 13, where Jesus got up, nobody else had washed the feet, a very practical thing that had to be done in a road where, in places where there are roads that were just filthy and dirt and all kinds of trash in the road. You come into a house, somebody had to wash the feet. Jesus did it. He got up and he washed them and he said, what I have done for you, I want you to do for each other. 
You see, he wasn't just teaching them what they needed to go preach when he was gone. He was showing them how he wanted them to live when he was gone. He was building a community. Later on in that chapter, the verse that we studied, he said, they're going to know you're my disciples by the way you love each other. By the way you love each other, not the way you judge each other, not the way you, you challenge. They're not, the whole world does that. He says, but when they look at the relationships that you have, the community that you have, Everybody's going to look at that and say, those people know Jesus. And so he calls us into a community, and we are changed. The process of change where he is changing us is in the context of that community, of people who are serving each other, people who are loving each other. And he was building that even before the cross. When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, it just took what this foundation Jesus had laid, and it took it to a whole other level. Because now the Holy Spirit actually formed a bond between every Christian on the planet and every Christian that has ever lived. And together in this bond, we are the body of Christ. And he is the head. We see this in the New Testament. Listen to what his body is doing. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. And um, I've got to truncate it a little bit because Paul writes these long sentences in Ephesians. But I want you to see the truth that's here. That we uh, might grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. He's the head, we're the body. Right here. From whom the home body, that's us, Wind Baptist Church, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. And when every part's doing its share, what happens? It causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Building itself up in love. Jesus said, I am building my church. Here's a case where working through each individual Christian who is doing their part, he is building the church, but he's doing it through their cooperation. As each part does its, its piece of the responsibility, we build each other up in love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18, in verses 20 and 21, Paul writes, But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. It is no accident that you're in this church. You may not know why. You may not know what your assignment is, but he does, and he puts you in this church for his purpose in a way that pleased him. If you leave this church, you go to another church, God has a place for you in that church, and he is going to put you in that church, place you in that church exactly where he wants you to be, and he has a place for you to fulfill. There are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. And so we belong to each other, and we need each other. We are interdependent on one another. And through that process, he is making us what he wants us to be changing us, transforming us. Let me do, let me do this. Brian, would you come up here? You haven't broken anything lately, have you? Come on up here for a second. Uh, Brian is a man's man. You ever notice that? <laughs> He's a man's man. And, um, you got a couple of admirers who agree with me? Okay. And, um, and so I, wanna, I want Brian to help me illustrate where we've got to go in our groups and where I think some of our challenges lie 
in our Bible study groups, not just at Wind Baptist Church, but in a lot of, a lot of churches, okay? Because when we come together as a group, I don't know about you, but I don't feel like a lot of this happens that we've been talking about, okay? But let me show you what does happen, all right? Brian, I hope you trust me, man. Let's do it sideways, okay? I want you to lean your head towards me, okay? Lean your head over here, all right? Now, we're not Siamese twins, but typically when we come together as groups, the place where we're making contact is on the level of our minds. Uh, I'm imparting truth, or I'm teaching something, and he's receiving that, or he's teaching or imparting truth, and we're, we're meeting each other on the level of our minds, all right? And so we, we have a mind-to-mind kind of exchange that takes place. And, and if that's all that happens, I can't say that we're edifying each other in love. You understand that? We live in a world where your value, your worth to other people typically is determined by your performance. And we start that with kids at a little age, you know. I mean, we smile at them when they do well. We frown at them when they don't do well. But it's about performance. And, and when we're in a church, sometimes we can make it about performance. But, but the reason the love and the quality of that love and that community is so different is because when you come here, this should be the only place on earth where you don't have to perform to be loved and accepted. And so what should happen in our groups is not not just an exchange of information. Brian, face me, brother. It should be this. It should be heart to heart. And, And when you and I get to a place where that's what we're doing with each other, then those, no performance necessary. You don't have to prove anything to me. Can I give you one example? I have one of my favorite verses, James 5, 16. You go ahead and sit down, Brian. Y'all give him a hand. You know, I, I have for years heard Christian educators talk about the importance of developing accountability groups if you want to overcome sin and so forth, and it sounds good. It really does sound good. Put a group together. We ask each other questions that nobody else is going to ask, and we're supposed to answer truthfully and so forth. Accountability groups, okay? Let me, let me tell you how that really works, because I am not about to share anything with you if I feel like i got to perform for you in order to be accepted, If I don't trust you, I'm not going to tell you anything about me that I think is going to change your opinion of me, if I think it can be changed. And so, in James 5.16, he says, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another. He puts the two thoughts together. You know what I've learned in my experience? The guys I pray with are the guys I can tell anything to. The more that, that I spend time with a group of guys who are praying together, the more the walls come down. And I know they love me, and I know they got my back, <laughs> and they know I love them, and I know they got, and they can say anything in that group. Pray for me, I am struggling with fill in the blank. Pray for me, I blew it last week, I did fill in the blank. Until we learn that our acceptance in Christ is not based on our performance, it's based on his performance. And that any righteousness I lack in getting to heaven has already been given to me fully in Christ. And everything that I do now, I do because I've been accepted and I have been received 
and I have been forgiven fully, completely. And any works I do now, anything I do now, is out of a heart of gratitude for a Savior who loved me completely and rescued me. Now, how are the rest of you going to figure that out? We figure it out as we model that for each other. You experience it when we're on a heart-to-heart level in a group, not just by me telling you in an auditorium. Why does he lead you into a group of Christians when he calls you? Because the mission's too difficult. The change that has to happen is way too deep. Number three, last thing. The call is too radical. The call is too radical. I don't know if radical is the best word. It's the word that I'm going to use right now. But look again at verse 19 one more time. Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. There it is. Follow me. So God is calling you. There's no question that everybody here who knows Christ, you have a calling from God. No question. That calling is to specific assignments, specific tasks that need to be done both in the church and in the world. And God has called you to that. And he's called you in doing those tasks to do them with his strength, his power, his provision, so that people will see the light that's in you and they see that that light produces a certain kind of life, your certain works, and when they see your works, they glorify your Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your fathers in heaven. You have specific works and tasks to do. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. So he has a plan for you, no question about it. But when he calls us, He just says, follow me. You don't have to know all the plans. You don't have to know everything that somebody who studied for years and years and got five PhDs knows. He just says, follow me. Follow me means a couple things. To follow implies that whatever your calling is about, it's a journey. So none of us has arrived in your calling. If you're breathing, everybody here breathing? Your calling is a work in progress. It's a journey. You're going somewhere with him. Follow me also means that I'm called to a relationship. We've already touched on this. Jesus is saying, I will change your heart. I will place you into a community. I will send you into the harvest fields around you. I will lead you where you need to be, supply you with everything you need, and empower you for every step along the way. But I'm asking you to do just one thing. Follow me. That's it. I will make you fishers of men. I'm going to do that part. There's only one thing you need to do. Follow me. Now, why is that radical? Because you can't follow Jesus and stay with your boats. When those guys followed Jesus, they left the boats. They left Dad. They left everything familiar. All of their attention went to Jesus. All of their time was about Jesus. All of their their highest affections were all about Jesus. 
It wasn't like Jesus was, was something I do on Sunday over here and the rest of the week I live in the real world. No. To follow me, he is saying, follow me Sunday morning, Monday morning, Tuesday morning, all the way through the week. Follow me. He wants you to be with him. Now, we studied last fall. If you weren't here for that, I encourage you to go back and I talked about Christ in you, what it means to abide in Christ, to be with him always, all the time. When um, all three of my sons at one time or another thought God might be calling them into ministry, and when they got to school, one of the things that the school and some ministry class would require them to do is to write out your call to ministry. You know, and they would call me up. Every one of them called me up, and they would call me up, and they'd say, Dad, so-and-so over here, he, was, he got lost hunting in the woods, and it was dark, and he couldn't find his way out, and he got scared, he got cold, he got hungry, and he said, Oh, God. Oh, God, if you'll get me out of the woods, I'll be a preacher. Dad, I don't have a story like that. I said, son, it's all right. Because the first thing he calls you to do is to follow him. Just say yes to him. And that may lead you to one place for the rest of your life. It may lead you to a hundred places. Or more. But all he asks of you and me is that we follow him. We make him the focus of our entire life.